Hey, what's up, everybody? My guest on the show today is Louise from Denmark. And at one point in time, she was a TV producer, but then she decided to start traveling the world. And she hasn't stopped for the last 12 years. So we had a great time recording the episode. I learned a lot from her. She's had a lot of life experiences. She's been to a lot of places. She's seen a lot. She's talked to a lot of people. And uh, so I was very glad that I got to talk to her. And being from Denmark, she was actually able to confirm the thought process of that other Danish fellow that I met named Margot. If you haven't given Pineapple on Pizza a listen, go ahead and give that, that episode a listen if you want to hear about how at least two Danish people think about why criminals do what they do. So again, if you want to hear about that, check out Pineapple on Pizza. Uh, but if you don't, keep listening to this episode because it's awesome. I hope you like it. I had a blast recording the show. And uh, so here we go. So what are the Sri Lankan people like? How long have you been there for? So I've been in Sri Lanka for about 10 days. And the first impression is they are probably the friendliest people I've ever met. Really? Like straight up. Yeah. I know that like, okay, so Thai people, as you know, are incredibly friendly. But, uh-huh. and I don't know if you will agree with this, but I felt like when I was in Thailand, there was a lot of genuine kindness and friendliness. But it was somewhat superficial yeah and i feel uh-huh. like you can't really connect with thai people partly because uh-huh. of the language barrier uh-huh. um but here it's like a completely different there's just a really interesting vibe where like everybody's very not only friendly but genuinely interested in having a conversation with you and finding out where you are they're not trying to sell you things or like get something out of you and they'll just, they're just incredibly happy that you're in their country because I think Sri Lanka gets overlooked a lot. But for other countries like, you know, India to the West and Thailand to the East, it kind of sits in a little, you know, in the sea right in the middle of the two. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, you get the sense that they're very proud of being Sri Lankan and they have a lot to like, you, they have a lot to be proud of, to be fair. Like they have an interesting culture and history and, the food is amazing and they're just really happy that people are willing to travel this far to come and visit their country and they want to give back by being friendly and genuine and sincere and they're just lovely people and I've just you know I've just had a really wonderful time getting to know some Sri Lankan people here and in fact I think I'm gonna go visit a Sri Lankan family in their house with my friend later on because she's been here a bunch of times and she's um made some friends here and she said that she was going to go and visit them and their tea plantation this morning and so i think i'm going to jump on that and yeah what an amazing what an amazing sentence to just come out of your mouth that i'm gonna go spend the day with a sri lankan family who was just at a tea plantation this morning like that's such yeah that's such like a foreign sentence uh or not foreign but just like an uncommon thing an uncommon grouping of words. I think that's super interesting. That's super cool that the Sri Lankan people are are genuinely really nice. Because I noticed the same thing 
about the Thai people, but uh-huh. I had, I I still have such a difficult time explaining explaining it and explaining why and explaining how it works. That like on face value, they're really kind, they're really welcoming, they're really hospitable, and if you're just walking around the streets, like they'll give you a smile. But then after being here for a little bit, you kind of pick up on some things that it's not always genuine. Uh, yeah. And I still have I still have a really hard time wrapping my head around it and kind of trying to understand why it's like that. Do you have any ideas as to why or how it's like that or why they're it's kind of they're nice to you, uh, but it's sometimes a little superficial? Honestly, I, I, I've thought about it a lot and I can't put my finger on it either. I don't know if it's because they're worried that if they get too close, it, it might lead to something hurtful. Like, because they know huh. that you'll be leaving. I mean, in your case, yeah. you're there for, what, a year? But most uh-huh. people will leave. And so if they get too attached, maybe the concept of attachment is a little bit scary to them. That's the mm. only thing I can really think of. Yeah. But it would be I mean, interesting to find out straight from the horse's mouth. You know? the, yeah. But that makes sense what you said because they're, uh, it's a very group, it's a group culture. And so it's a group centered mindset. Uh, uh-huh. And so I noticed with people here is that once you're, like, once you're in the group, like, once you're accepted, once uh, you're within their group, either if it's, uh, like the small group of people that you work with or the the bigger group of the Thai culture as a whole. Like once you're uh-huh. in, you're in. And they'll do everything for you. They share everything. Everything is centered around the group. Um, and like the the concept of the individual is a lot less than the concept of the group. And the the desires and the wants of the individual are a lot uh-huh. less than the desires and the wants as a group as a whole, which is pretty cool. So it makes sense that, uh, or just logically, it makes sense if uh, they think you're not going to stick around for a long time, they're not going to let you into the group. Um, and yeah. then, so you kind of stay on the outside. Um, and then, so that's why it could come off as uh superficial and yeah that would make it, a lot of sense yeah is it like that in sri lanka is there a group culture mindset there i think in the sense of like you know family and family values there's definitely a lot of yeah they really love their families and they all sort of live together a little bit like uh i guess to an extent thailand but also in india you know you have your grandma and your grandpa and your uncle and your sister and your brother and your kids and you know all everybody lives under the same roof in different rooms mm-hmm. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, prime example is this um, surf house I was staying at in the previous beach I was on, which is called Midigama, which is an excellent place to both watch surfers, learn how to surf and surf yourself because there's lots of different breakpoints. But um, the place that I was staying at is run by a guy and his sister. And then she lives there with her baby and uh, husband. And I think his mom, their mom lives there, too. And so I think there is that kind of like community or group spirit. And I suspect mm-hmm. the smaller villages, especially up north and in the mountains, which I haven't visited yet, but I'm about to, um, there will be some kind of group mentality like you described. But 
I feel like they're more interested or sorry, more welcoming to a temporary addition. Like prime example again is my friend Emily, who I met on the beach a week ago. She's been to Sri Lanka three times now and she wants to set up a hostel or something here. And she's made these connections with these Sri Lankans. Like everywhere we go, she knows at least five people. She'll walk down the street and they'll be took to driver. And then she says hello to him and they'll come up and be like genuine be interested in how she's been the last couple of years since she's been away or you know she'll go to a bar and she'll meet everybody and I think they're more likely to like attach themselves and then welcome you back with open arms they're just genuinely happy to see you when you're back and so I think it's easier to an extent for foreigners to or visitors to come and be part of the group but if you're setting up shop like if you're opening up a bar or a cafe I have heard stories of, you know, white people, for want of a better word, coming in mm-hmm. and being threatened by at gunpoint, you know, with knives to their throats because they're trying to open up a business in Sri Lanka. And so really? I think, I, yeah, so I think there's two sides to the coin. You know, there are people who are incredibly friendly and welcoming and open and want to drag you into their lifestyle and their, um, their community. But then there are those who are incredibly protective because, you know, they kind of see it. I suspect it's a byproduct of, of colonialism to an extent, whereby they see the white man come in wanting to make money off Sri Lanka and Sri Lankans instead of seeing it as an opportunity to grow, you know, the tourism and create jobs. And I can see both sides of the, of the argument. So I think, yeah, there is... Uh, yeah, there's really two sides to it. There are, but mostly what people will see when they come to Sri Lanka to visit is these beautiful people who just want you to understand their lifestyle and appreciate how they live. Wow. That's, that's a crazy dynamic to have those two uh, experiences side by side. To have the Sri Lanka people be so welcoming, to be so uh, hospitable and want you to be there, but then in the same breath, some of those people possibly putting a gun to your head if you really want to set up shop. That's wild. Wow. And see, for me, and most of the people who listen to this podcast are uh, in America or in the States. And now me, Uh I'm not going to say everybody who listens to this podcast has the same uh, idea of Sri Lanka as I do. But I say on the podcast all the time that I'm half a moron. But it's good. <laughs> but it's good because I know that I'm half a moron, and so uh-huh. I'm not afraid to ask questions. And so for me, like I had no idea that Sri Lanka even had a beat. I had no idea Sri Lanka even had a coast. I had I only knew that it was near India, um, and that was it. That was my only concept of Sri Lanka. I knew absolutely nothing about. I still know absolutely nothing about the country. Literally, what you've told me in these last ten minutes is 100% of my knowledge about Sri Lanka. Uh, Well, well, I'm glad (laughs) I could contribute, but, you know, what I, in fairness to the people listening to this and to you, what I've experienced may not be the same as what everybody else experiences. Before I came out, Mm -hmm. everybody was like, Sri Lanka's amazing, the food is great, the people are wonderful, the weather is awesome. I mean, right now it's raining, and I'm sat outside, so that's not ideal. But, (laughs) um, you know... 
I have also heard stories of people who have had less than good experiences, um, usually women traveling alone. And that's not mm. me trying to deter anybody who is a solo female traveler from visiting Sri Lanka. But it is it is just, you know, everybody has different experiences this is what I'm getting at. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and, you know, talking to more people about it than just me. Mm-hmm. And it and that reminds me of the uh, the connotations that staying in in hostels has associated with it. Oh, um, yeah. And for me, and and I want to know if anything has happened to you, but for me, every hostel that I've ever stayed in in my whole entire life has been uh, one an incredibly enjoyable experience, and then two, never once have I. Uh, felt unsafe within the hostel and unsafe with the people who I was staying with in the hostel or uh, overwhelmed with worry that my things were going to get stolen. Like I've never once had an experience like that. Has anything negative ever happened to you at a hostel? And if something extremely negative has happened to you at a hostel, you don't need to talk about it. But um, how have your how have your experiences in in hostels been? No, I have had similar experiences too. I would say I hear a lot of things. Nothing. Okay, so nothing has happened to me that's been negative in a hostel, apart from maybe like having, you know, the odd conversation about politics after a mm-hmm. couple of years that might mm-hmm. not have gone super well. That's probably the worst thing that's ever happened to me in a hostel. <laughs> having said that, I've been in the vicinity of people who have had things robbed, who have had, you know, sexual have been sexually assaulted in hostels Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know i i'm i I don't want to put anybody listening to this off going to hostels by saying what's happened but i'll just leave it at this there are horrible people who stay in hostels but that's maybe 0.001 percent and those people are you know they just honestly like i've been i've been staying at hostels more or less exclusively my entire adult life so that's 12 years of traveling and never staying in hotels right Mm -hmm. i have only heard maybe three or four stories of things going badly wow Wow. you know oh my gosh i think the thing is you have to think about it this way why do people stay in hostels they want to stay in hostels because they want to have a nice time and get to know people For the most part, there are, like I said, there are a couple of bad apples that will stay because they know that some backpackers have nice iPads and Mm -hmm. money and all of this. But if you're just a little bit savvy and you bring a padlock and you lock everything in your lock and you make sure that you stay in a place that has a locker and, you know, you're safe at night and you don't do anything that you wouldn't do at home and you just like cap your back up a little bit more than you perhaps would in the US or whatever country you're from, then you're going to be fine. And I think there is something really beautiful about the concept of hostels because people want to share their, they want to share themselves and they want to learn from other people. That's why they're saying hostels. It's not just to be cheap and save money. Mm-hmm. Um, although that is a really good, a really amazing benefit of it. Because I say the same thing. Like if I, even if I had uh, enough money to stay in hotels every night, I would choose to stay in a hostel over a hotel uh, anytime. If I was traveling alone or even traveling with 
friends, I would so I would every time choose to stay in a hostel over a hotel. Yeah. And like hotels are nice if you're like in a couple or yeah. you're in a mm-hmm. big group and you want to rent an apart like a penthouse or something and you just want to have mm-hmm. a nice time with your friends. But yeah, no, I agree. I I don't really see the appeal of hotels. Although having said that in Sri Lanka, and this applies to India also, there are there's not a big hostel scene at all. Like really? it's actually yeah, it's actually kind of hard to find hostels. Mm-hmm. And you're more likely to get a guest house or a homestay, which is kind of like rather than a hotel, which has like, you know, it'll be like a hotel, basically like a nice building with amenities and mm-hmm. comfortable beds and whatnot. A homestay is where you basically go and stay with someone's family. So I did mm-hmm. one in India for two years ago where I, me and my boyfriend shared, my boyfriend at the time shared a room. And then there were two other guest rooms. And then downstairs was the whole family. And again, you know, the grandma, the uncle, the mom, the kids. And they would cook you breakfast in the morning. And you were basically just like hanging out with someone's family and learning about their way of life. Uh And then conversely, guest houses are somewhere in between a hotel and uh, a homestay. And those are way more popular and way cheaper, by the way, than hostels in Sri Lanka and India. Yeah. I don't know why they're cheaper. I guess it's because hostels have to spend more money to like keep it social and like employ more uh, staff yeah. and things like that because mm-hmm. guest houses and um homestays are always very very small mm-hmm. but uh i don't know where i was going with this yeah no so there's not a big hostel scene in sri lanka and india but when you do go to a hostel like you know the people that are there are going to be really rad because they want to go and socialize yeah. and that's mm-hmm. the beauty of it and i i love it i, I used to manage a hostel in guatemala and it's great because you make friends and yeah, it's sad when the ones you get really close to leave, leave yeah. but it's just a beautiful experience. And I've met more people this year while I've been on the road, probably than in my entire life. You know, it's really great. That is amazing. Now, wait, where were you in Guatemala? So I used to work on Lake Atitlan, which is uh, oh, no, a no. really famous, like, have you been to Guatemala? Yeah, I was there for uh, two months in 2015. Oh, nice. Where were you yeah. staying? I was staying oh, wait, 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 in... You? And so I was actually... Have, did you hear of uh, Esperanza de Vida, Hope of Life? No. No? And so it's a, a missions organization in, I think, the northeastern area. So I was pretty far away from that lake, um, like okay. a few hours away from there. Um, but I, when I was in Guatemala, I was staying in a homestead. Um, and we would, I worked in a kitchen while I was there and it was for the purpose of learning the language and then, uh, volunteering in the local communities. And so during the week we, or I went with a group, um, and during the week I would work in the kitchen and at an orphanage. And then during the weekends, we would travel around as the group to the different, uh, poorer areas of the country and we would have medical clinics we would bring food and water and we would just hang out with the people and love on the people in those those villages uh and so i i loved absolutely absolutely loved guatemala uh and the thing that stood out to me the most about guatemala was the people um yeah the people were so genuine and the people were so nice uh and it was the first time it was the first time i ever uh stayed in a homestay and uh-huh. it was i was staying in a pretty i was living in 
what was it? Uh, Zacapa. And that was the name of the, the village or the closest little city, I guess. Uh, right. The closest little town. And just I was staying in a stone house with a tin roof. It was. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was wild. Um, but it was super awesome. So when I heard you say Guatemala, uh, I perked up because I love that country. What did you what was your experience like there? Did you really love Guatemala or? I loved it. Like I've been back. Uh, yeah, I've been to Guatemala like three times in the last couple of years. And I just love that place with I mean, I kind of knew, you know, when you have a feeling about a country, you just know you're going to like it. That's how I felt yeah. about Guatemala, you know, and uh-huh. I think with I mean, my experience was very different because I didn't do homestays. I stayed in hostels and, you know, I mostly hung out with other foreign people who were traveling at least the first time that I was there. And then when I went back to work again, I was staying in hostel or I lived in a hostel, you know, I lived mm-hmm. on site. Yeah. And but having said that, you know, as much as I was working, sorry, yeah, I was working volunteers who are other travelers who are there for a while. I also had to work with a lot of staff, like the property management and the kitchen staff were Guatemalan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my, I mean, my Espanol isn't, eh. It was, <laughs> it was, it was no bueno, but then it got to okay bueno yeah. um, by the time I left. <laughs> uh, and I would say, like, I can have conversations with um, people in Spanish, no problem now. And that's all thanks to those guys, you know, because they, like, yeah. let me come in with my very, very broken, beyond basic um spanish and just like taught me and you know i i did learn a few words in cacchico which is their um local language but i've forgotten that already but you know they were teaching me things and they were just very sweet and oh my god i don't know if you will agree with this but i think guatemalans are probably the hardest workers i've ever met i've seen people schlep so you know how there's a so lake atitlan is on uh, sorry is by uh the san pedro volcano uh-huh. And you can climb up it. And I don't know if you did that, but that's a really fun experience, although it's very, very hard. Mm-hmm. And um, I was climbing up it. I was hiking up. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this kid comes out. I say kid. He was probably in his 30s. But honestly, I can never <laughs> how old Guatemalans are. Yeah. They just all look the same age to me. And so he comes <laughs> down and he's carrying. He's like, you know, he's five foot four, stocky yeah. little kid. Mm-hmm. And he's got these logs of wood on his back. He's been, he's gone all the way to the top of this volcano, chopped down some lumber, some wood, and slept it on his back. It, the stack was higher than him. Oh and he was like casually walking down. And he was like, dude, it was like 85, 90 degrees. Yeah. And humid and blazing sun. And he was wearing jeans, like full length jeans and mm-hmm. a long shirt and carrying and all was, that. Not breaking. And was he in flip flops too? Uh, probably. I didn't yeah. really catch his footwear, to be honest, but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, so Guatemalans are incredibly hardworking. They're so, so welcoming and, yeah, just really lovely people. Even if you don't speak their language, like, they will, they will go that extra length to try and understand what it is that you're trying to communicate. I have a lot of time for them. Yes, I love, I love the people very much. And I, and I think about somebody doing what you just described in America, and if... If it was somebody's job to go do that, like if they were employed to do that, I couldn't imagine somebody keeping that job for any longer than a day. Because that I know, right? is insane. What? Because he was like, wasn't like he was just going on a walk with this wood. 
he was hiking down a mountain, and that's insane to me. Uh, and but I have a question about uh, Sri Lanka and about uh-huh. the the group houses and the and so and the homestays. Is there uh, a time limit, or like, do you have like, can you only uh, can you kind of schedule to live there for just a day, or do you have to? be there for like five days or a week or something like that oh no 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 you can stay as long as you want like if you want to stay just one night that's totally cool if you want to yeah. stick around for a month yeah it's just that like, you can just go on any website well any website like booking.com or somewhere like mm-hmm. that and and find a homestay it's not yeah there, there's not like um a minimum commitment the same way as yeah. with a work situation or a volunteering situation mm-hmm. And now, do you hang out with the with the family? Generally, yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's not like you're obligated, but like what they'll do is they'll, you know, their uncle or their cousin will have a tea plantation or a tobacco farm or a uh-huh. coffee farm or, you know, something or other that they want you to visit. So they'll take you out maybe one day and, and you know, they'll, they'll propose to you, like, come and see my sister's tea plantation and then you can go for the day with the family and like sometimes it involves a little bit of money but sometimes it's genuinely just here come and see this thing my awesome family made like and it's just very heartwarming and very humbling to be around that but with homestays i mean you could just you could even just treat it as a hotel or a hostel if you wanted to and only just hang out by yourself or whoever you're traveling with it's not yeah you don't have to stick around with the family unless you mm-hmm. you want to mm-hmm. hmm. that's super cool and now is isn't sri lanka um really known for their tea don't they have some of the best tea in the world they sure do they have this um so ceylon tea is something that you can get in most stores um mm-hmm. around the world and that comes from here because sri lanka used to be called ceylon back when it was colonized and huh. um so that's where that comes from and they have so many different herbal teas and like black teas and you know white teas and green teas like they just they have it all and it's all up i mean it kind of starts on the coast a little bit like a little bit inland from the coast and then it goes all the way up to the north that entire part of sri lanka is densely populated with tea plantations wow that's super cool now do people drink it because in the states people will drink coffee every day twice a day two three times a day do people drink uh, tea as much as people drink coffee there? Um, honestly, I, I'm not sure they do either, to be honest with you. So mm. I feel like the tea, um, the tea culture is very much a visitor-run okay. culture. Uh-huh. I haven't really, I haven't really witnessed that many Sri Lankans drinking tea, but I, but I suspect they will drink tea more than coffee because although there are some coffee farms around here, it's not really a big, um, it's not a huge business, and I suspect they. So you know how like British people drink tea all day long, it's mm-hmm. like they're crack cocaine. Like they will have it every hour. <laughs> have a cup of tea. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, I just don't get the sense that they have that as much here. Like I've okay. never seen Sri Lankans like. Dunk, um, drinking tea uh, like some people drink coffee you know how some people have six cups of coffee every day they just yeah. don't do that I, I think they function on just happiness <laughs> and, and, and honestly I, I just don't think they need all those substances 
Hmm. Now, why do you think they're such a happy people? I think because they have a lot to be happy about. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot, you know, I've only been here a short time. I'm sure there's a lot of things to be incredibly sad about. And there's some horrible things that are happening across the country, I'm sure, just like in any country, you know, you only Uh see a you know, a little bit of the surface. I just think they have, you know, they have beautiful weather. They have a really interesting culture. Also, I think because the country is partly Buddhist, uh-huh. I think, I, I don't remember what the ratio is, but I think the biggest religion is, or I know the biggest religion is Buddhism, and then it's Hindu and Muslim. And I think there's a small portion of Catholics, very, very uh-huh. small negligible portion of Catholics around the country. And I think because they have a Buddha, they are from a Buddhist um what's the word i'm looking for because, because they're buddhists yeah because they're buddhists they appreciate things in a different way and they are better at living in the moment and just understanding that everything is ephemeral and everything's going to end at some point so let's just enjoy life as it is and you know right now i'm on the coast and everybody's so happy but then again you know most surf towns are yeah. populated by very very happy people because mm-hmm. you know they get to surf they get to skate they get to slack line and drink and have a good time mm-hmm. and i think also you know sri lankans just have yeah they just have a lot to be happy about in general and i think a lot of years of misery and war have finally come to an end to an extent there's still some tensions here and there but by and large, you know, they don't have they don't have to fear for their lives as much as they did back in the early noughties when the war was still happening. Mm-hmm. I think maybe there's a an element of that to it as well. Wow. Now, I got to say, you are such an incredibly uh, well thought out person. Like you, the things Thank that you. come out of, yeah, the things that come out of your mouth are... Uh, the opposite of stupid. Like it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> how I and I can't think of another word for it, but how well thought out all of your ideas are. And it's not you're not just like spewing garbage or just saying things to say things. Like it's in, it's incredible how uh, accurately you can you can analyze a situation and analyze of people and analyze. Uh, like a culture, and I also think it's amazing how you preface a lot of with with what you say that this is my personal experience, and it might not be true for everybody, but this is what I've experienced so far. I think that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Uh, and so this, I'm learning so much from this conversation. That's why I love doing this because uh, I get to hear the the. Those the amazing thoughts that are in your head, and that's why I love having it in this kind of kind of situation in this this context, because we're able to talk for an hour about 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 cool stuff, and then I get to learn stuff, and then hopefully other people get to learn stuff too. That's super cool. Uh, that's amazing. And I have I have a few more. Que- I have a bunch of questions that I wrote down sure. that I haven't even that I haven't even got to yet. Uh, and but. I think this is a great time to, so every time I have a guest on, I ask them two questions. So every guest Uh gets asked the same two questions. The first question, I think this would be a great time to do that. I want to know what your favorite song is 
right now. And so the song that you're listening to the most right now, like what's on your iPod? What are you listening to uh, most frequently right now? Oh, that's a good question. I might have to check on that only because I haven't actually listened to music for a while. Okay. And so actually that's not true. I listen to some music on the bus. I'm just going to try and think of what I listen to. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a song that I've been listening to off and on for the past like month that keeps coming Uh back. It's called, uh, it's called Lavender Bones by a group called Stand Atlantic. And it's just a little bit of like cool chick, chick rock, basically. Uh-huh. It's um, a nice. female lead singer um, who, yeah, I mean, the song isn't, you know, it's nothing special, but it just has a really nice riff and it gets me pumped. So I really like to listen to that nice. song. That's dope. And so I love asking this question because I don't know if this is the same for you, but I absolutely love music. Uh, and yeah, from too. the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, I'm listening to music, but the funny thing is, I know nothing about music and or how it works. Like, I have no idea how to play music. I have no idea. Like, I could barely, if you showed me lyrics to a song, I could, I bet you I couldn't even identify the chorus. Like, I know nothing <laughs> about music at all, but I know that I love it. Uh, and so it's kind of, I like my, uh, like the way I look at music. A little bit. I wish I knew more about the mechanics of it and how a song works and how the what the writing process is like and why things sound good. Uh, like I wish I knew those things. But mm-hmm. the kind of the bright side of not knowing those things is that all of my uh, like fondness for music is just totally emotional. Like there's or and it's all just in like my heart and not in my head. Um, and which I like because with a lot of things that I do, I'm very, I get lost in my head a lot with being too mechanical and trying to think about, uh, like too practically. And I'm trying to think too, uh, detail oriented with everything and trying to figure out the ins and outs of why things work. And sometimes I get lost in my head, but I know absolutely nothing about the mechanics of music. And so it's kind of good because it's one of the only things that is that is just emotional for me and it's just uh a visceral experience every time i listen to music so i I like my uh ignorance of how music works uh but (laughs) i can appreciate uh, that like i'm I'm more or less the same i mean i took a few drumming lessons here and there and you know i liked music class when i was in school but i couldn't tell you how to write a song and how to go from a bridge to a chorus and a whatever but like you like it it just if it hits me in the right spot especially at the right time, mm-hmm. that's, yeah, it's a really beautiful experience. Now, when I was in Thailand, somebody told me uh, about this, I think it was a theory or, or something uh, that, the, that you'll know if you like a song or not within the first 17 seconds of that song. Um, and so she was telling me about how she, she really understands music and she, uh, like is a musician herself and she knows how to write and she understands all the ins and outs of it. Um, and uh-huh. she was saying how the first 17 seconds of a song are, are vital to if somebody's going to keep listening to that song or not. And I thought that was super cool. And so I've been, I've been trying to uh, think about that as I 
I'll like go to my favorite song. And it's kind of funny. Like I'll go to my favorite song. And from the second I put on my favorite song, it didn't even take 17 seconds. It took one second. And I knew that this is a song that I love. Uh, And so I don't know if the theory has validity, but I'm sure it does. Because, I mean, if a song sucked for the first 17 seconds of it, you probably wouldn't keep listening to it. Uh, Oh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, And now is the reason that you haven't been listening to a lot of music recently is because of the the nunnery that you were at? Um, No, there was... well. That to an extent, um, but I just didn't feel the need to listen to music. I listen to music a lot in transit. So when I'm sat at uh-huh. an airport or yeah. I'm on a bus, and honestly, I've just been having too much fun to uh. to feel like I needed to put on Spotify. I've been hanging out with a bunch of cool people, and you know, one of them has a guitar, so they've been playing a little That's bit of music. So cool. I have technically listened to music, and there we've had go. speakers and. But I haven't like listened to my music, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've been mm-hmm. in the presence of music, but I haven't actively pulled out my phone, put on Spotify, and started listening to some jams. You know, it's been um, very circumstantial. So that's what I mean about when I say that I didn't listen to music. Yeah. Um, that's all. Uh, so your first day at that nunnery, what was mm. your... Like, what, tell, walk me through your first day at the nunnery and um, what a nunnery is. <laughs> so, um, my first day at the nunnery was basically me. Um, so, this other guy who was going to volunteer, who volunteered with me, came to my hostel, picked me up, and we jumped in a cab. And then we got to the bus station and got to the um little town where the nunnery is based so a nunnery first of all is a, like a monastery it's populated mm-hmm. with um people of faith who've dedicated their lives to the teachings of their uh chosen religion uh-huh. and in this case it was buddhist nuns but like i say so it's like a monastery but it's just with nuns so it's female monks if you will and it's mm-hmm. um you know, you kind of think of like Catholic or Christian nuns as wearing like long robes and being very shy and all of this. And mm-hmm. the same time, what's interesting about these nuns is so they are of the Theravada tradition, which is the more conservative form of Buddhism. It's mm-hmm. all about worship, or not worshiping, that's completely the wrong word, about teaching and understanding. Um, the word of the Buddha as it was written in Pali in in the scriptures back in the day, whereas there are other strands of Buddhism that don't quite do that. They worship Buddha more as a, as a god and things like that. So it's slightly mm-hmm. different. Um, and so um, what's interesting is that back in, so actually the story is, or the history is that, so there have always been Theravada monks. Yet the order of nuns of the Theravada tradition actually expired. Like they, they all died out about a thousand years ago and they've only semi-recently started popping up again. So there's a little bit of controversy because they sort of started their, they, they, they came back into existence off their own backs. And okay. they, weren't, they weren't ordered by the Buddha to start their congregation. So a lot of people 
have a little bit of a hard time with it because technically only the Buddha can set up uh, an order of nuns or monks, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So it's a little bit yeah. of a touchy subject, which is why it's so wonderful that when you get to this nunnery and you hear about this and, and there's these four amazing nuns um, living there, you're like, wow, these people have like lived through some really like that must be so hard to live knowing that not everybody accepts you even though your job and your purpose is to spread the word of buddha and like teach the lay people how to end their own suffering like it's just a little bit of a weird paradox to me and so the first day that i got there it was actually like it was really wonderful everybody was really welcoming and you know buddhist nuns are very at least these ones were mostly very uh, humble and like reserved they weren't like you know none of them like ran up to me and gave me a big hug or anything and not that I was expecting that but it took um I had to put on my humble face and like not like jump up and give everybody a hug like I would normally mm-hmm. do when I start volunteering somewhere mm-hmm. and I that was a really cool thing to kind of consciously do but actually I had had a bit of a hard time the first like 36 hours I was there I wasn't really sure whether I could do it for two weeks um and it was because like they ask you to like you know not drink and not smoke and abstain from like sexual misconduct and things like that when you get there those are not the mm-hmm. things I had issues with I think yeah. I was just a little bit scared of the fact that I just wasn't used to it so I kind of and I wasn't sure if it was the right place for me to be at the time but I stuck it out for two weeks I say stuck it out after 36 hours 48 hours I was perfectly fine and it was just a question Mm -hmm. of like readjusting to something that's completely different you know you you have to wear completely different clothes I mean you can wear your own Mm -hmm. clothes but like it was so hot and you cannot wear shorts and a tank top which is what I would have normally resorted to you have to cover your knees you have to cover your shoulders and you know you can't listen to loud music um you you can read what you want and you can like spend time in your room if you want like that's fine they don't actually ask you to work particularly hard and some people had a hard time with the 4 a.m wake up call so you wake up at 4 a.m sorry 4 30 a.m and then you go into meditation hall for 5 a.m you meditate for 45 minutes and then you go out and then you split the volunteers into two groups one group cleans the common area and sets up for breakfast the other half goes out with the nuns and picks up food donations because all the food that we got Uh every single meal was given to us by people Mm -hmm. in the street who had prepared Mm -hmm. these meals specifically for the nuns and Mm -hmm. yeah that was a very humbling experience it's really interesting to see how dedicated people are to these nuns like the amount of food we got was ridiculous john i've never seen so much food in my life and really good food too really that's amazing they do the same thing here in thailand uh and i think they do it at 6 a.m they'll go all the monks will go out and they'll walk through the streets um, and people will give them donations and that's how they get a hundred percent of their food yeah it's not like imagine doing that back home as a (laughs) wouldn't happen (laughs) No. <laughs> wow. So the the four the 4:30 wake up call would have been tough for me. I think then now did people ever make jokes about their meditation time just being an extra half hour of sleep? Um I think oops, sorry. Um I think uh actually most people took it really seriously. 
Nice. Some people had That's a hard cool. time actually like meditating because um, mm-hmm. they just didn't know how and they weren't really taught. Mm-hmm. And I can understand that's a little bit of a challenging experience. But yeah, no, I think everyone took it seriously. Um, I, I must admit the first night I was there, I fell asleep a little bit during my evening meditation. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> yeah, I kind of like rocked back and forth a little bit. Uh, you know, like a drunk grandpa at Christmas. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, that was that was unfortunate, but thankfully, I don't think I made a fool of myself. I don't think I snored or anything. But, oh, yeah. oh, so you do it? You're you're with other people while you're meditating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go. Uh, okay. I mean, you can choose. You can choose to do it. I would do it in my room sometimes, if I'm honest. I didn't always go into the hall with everybody else, but mm. I think the idea is to be in the presence of everybody else, so that you are sort of uh, inspired by the yeah. fact that everybody's together. Uh-huh. Yeah, and for solidarity purposes, for everybody to be yeah. together. We're in this together. We're, we're a team here. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We all got up oh. at 4 a.m., you know? Yeah. Uh, and so 4 a.m. or 4.30, wake-up call, meditation, and then either cleaning the common room and preparing for breakfast or or going out and and collecting the donations and then what was uh-huh. what was the next thing so what would happen is we would all eat breakfast together and then clean the common area together and set everything aside and then you could either go and help the gardener which is really cool like that he's a cool little guy and he would like <laughs> chop you down coconuts every now and again and mm-hmm. you could share coconut with him which was really nice but what would usually happen is you would kind of have the mornings to yourself and then around 12 o'clock or three o'clock sorry at 11 the nuns have lunch because they're not allowed mm-hmm. to eat past 12 o'clock that's really? it for the day yeah yeah um, wow and okay then you would i'm trying to think back yeah so you wouldn't necessarily have lunch with them like you could choose to do it at a later time if you want to and uh you would Go and have what is known as a Dhamma talk at either 12 o'clock, 1230-ish, or 3 o'clock, depending on the day. And that is basically when you sit with the nuns as a group and you ask questions about the Buddhist teachings. And they basically give you a lowdown of what it is to be a Buddhist and how to practice it and all this kind of stuff. So it's really rad. Really, really wow. fun. That's um, amazing. Yeah, and it's great because you can ask. Like, I asked a lot of like personal questions that were like relevant to me but I think a lot of people got something out of it too and vice versa and so we did that and then actually while I was there the second week I was there um it was we were preparing for a celebration called the Katina so Buddhists don't really celebrate things they don't really celebrate Christmas birthdays and all this kind of stuff but they have Mm -hmm. like two or three celebrations a year and one of them relates to the end of the rainy season and the changing of the robes so what will happen is there will be lots of food, first of all, lots of really mm-hmm. delicious pad thai and papaya salad and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you would, um, so the lay people come and offer all this food, but they also offer um, fabric so that the nuns who need a new robe can have a new robe and it will be cut there and then. So it will be sewed together there and then from the wow. materials that the lay people have come with. And then everybody has like a, a nice little catch up and a, um, a Dhamma talk. And then the robe is handed over to the nuns. And that's kind of that. So we were preparing for that um, 
you know, preparing the whole house and like sweeping and setting up tents and things like that so that people would have a place to sit and enjoy their food and the celebrations in. So I did a little bit of that during the day also in the second week. That's incredible. That's an incredible experience to be able to, and you did that for two weeks. Yep, sure did. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. That's, and you said it was a very, a very humbling experience, right? Incredibly humbling. I mean, from the first day when I went out to collect food donations, yeah, I kind of knew that like this was going to be very, very important to me to stay here or stay there. Sorry. Yeah. And, and so do you know, so why, uh, did you get to find out why any of those nuns, uh, chose to, chose to be nuns, um, and chose to live their life that way? Um, so yeah, one of them was an Indonesian nun actually, who was there at the time. He had gone to a Buddhist college, um, in oh. high school. So I think she, uh-huh. for her, it was probably just ingrained in her like just it's, it's like in her DNA you know because she mm-hmm. went to these places and studied it very consciously and it was probably part of her family's culture with mm-hmm. uh the head nun she had worked in architecture in Chicago for 20 years like she's Thai but she had worked um in the western world for want of a better word for 20 years and I think she just had enough and came to the realization that there is a better way of life than, mm-hmm. than, you know, running around and being stressed about work and all this. So those were, those were the two reasons that I found out about um, from, from their perspective. Yeah, it just, it just made a lot of sense. And I think I actually asked them, like, do you have to, you know how in Catholicism you have to have a, a, a priest needs to be called upon by God? Yeah. That doesn't really happen in the same way as um, in, in Buddhism. So you do have to have like a certain calling. There has to be a certain pull for you to, mm-hmm. to go and become a nun or a monk. But it's not like you saw the light. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's not that kind of like, it, it wasn't like an epiphany for any of them. It was a gradual mm-hmm. process, which is really interesting. That is really cool that it's not this whole, uh, they had this grand moment in their life and then they decided to then go be, go be a nun. But it was more of a, like a, uh, you said it really well, a gradual, uh, what do you say, a gradual, how would you say it, a gradual, like, uh, leading to going and then, yeah, gradual process. Good, good, good. Nice. Huh. That's incredibly interesting. And for me, I think it's so interesting because I don't know, because at least in the States, uh, Christianity and Catholicism and even a lot of uh, Judaism is, uh, at least in New York, is really uh, cultural. Um, and even if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Catholic, if you're not a Jewish person, you, you have a decent understanding of those religions. Uh, uh-huh. And when I say Christianity, I mean like Protestant Christianity and then Catholicism. Uh, and so for me, I grew up my whole life having a pretty decent understanding of those three different faiths. But then okay. Buddhism oh. and, and Hinduism, I know nothing about. Uh, and I just think it's 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 incredibly interesting to see how other people live and how those 
to for my whole life growing up around Catholic people and Christian people and uh, knowing pastors and or priests um, and those people being so uh, and this is the part that's really interesting to me and that that leads to a lot of questions in myself um, is that when you look at the that that nun that you were that you spent or all the the nuns that you spent these last two weeks with and then uh-huh. Think about, let's say, the uh, the Christian pastor. You look at both of right. those people, and both of those people are are in are one hundred percent certain that their uh, faith or their uh, like I guess choice of religion is the right one. And yeah, it. And I and I don't even know really how I think what I think about that, but I just think it's really interesting and it raises a lot of questions uh, in my heart and in my head about about how that's possible and what uh, like what the result of that is to have all those nuns being so certain that their way or they're they're choosing to live the way they they're choosing to live because they think it's a good way to live or might be the best way to live. Um, and then you take the Christian pastor or any other religious leader and they would say the same thing. And so I just think that's, that's really interesting to have uh, two people or many different people be so certain about their, their way of life, but then to have the other person be so certain about something else. Uh, yeah. So it raises, raises a lot of questions to me because, because me, I uh, I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus, uh, and mm-hmm. so it it's something that uh, that again I'm really analytical about in myself, and I and I'm constantly asking myself the questions: Why do I believe the thing that I do? Uh, why, like, what is this really about? Like, uh, I'm always asking myself questions about. Uh, the Christian faith and why it is the way it is and how it became the way that it is. Uh, yeah. And so, and so this, that, even that, again, it's just, I always have these questions about, uh, about how people live and, and why they choose to live the way they do. And this is a, that's a perfect example of it because that those, those nuns that you were spending time with were, uh, were just as certain as anybody else about their, their choice of religion. And so I think. Exactly. Incredibly interesting. Yeah, no, and I think it it struck it struck me too because obviously, like I was genuinely curious. I was like, do you have to have some sort of like epiphany or moment mm-hmm. in order to become a nun or a monk in the Buddhist tradition, anyway? And it's so different. And to me, I mean, I don't know if you will agree with this or not, but I it makes a lot more sense to me that it is a gradual process. Yeah. Rather than uh-huh. an epiphany, because you hear of so many. I mean, sure, okay, Buddhist monks and nuns do abdicate, like they do. They do um, leave the faith, not the faith. Sorry, they do leave the the monastery or the nunnery. Sometimes, you know, they decide it's not really a way of life for them. But I don't know why I get the sense that that happens a lot less than in, say, Judaic traditions or Catholic, mm-hmm. Catholic priests and things like that. You hear a lot more about. Catholic priests, you know, I don't know, finding love or realizing that perhaps they're gay and so they can't stay in the in the cloth, as it were. You mm-hmm. hear that a little bit less in Buddhist tradition, and I wonder if that is linked 
to the fact that it's that the most of them have come to the realization that they want to be a monk or a nun in a completely different way if that makes sense i don't know mm -hmm. i'm just spitballing here no that does make sense and you see a lot of time uh in the the christian faith uh, where a lot of people will come to uh they have these come to jesus moments they people call yeah. well either a tragedy will happen or something amazing will happen or they'll have a near-death experience and then after that after that big crashing moment then they they turn their life around and they become a follower of jesus and so that it happens a lot uh one so that happens a lot for people in the christian faith but then it happens a lot uh uh, it's a, it's a gradual process for a lot of people too, uh, because in at least in the states and especially in the south of uh, the United States, it's very very cultural, and so a lot uh -huh. of people in their schools uh, they'll have uh, like a lot of even the public schools will have this kind of some kind of it'll have a Christian atmosphere, and so from the day people are born, people are are hearing about Christianity, um, and then. But then it also becomes, at least for me, it was definitely a gradual process as well because I grew up, uh, my parents were both Christians, but then mm -hmm. as I uh, became older and became more, I guess, self-aware, I started kind of asking myself these questions of why I believe what I do. Um, and so when I was a kid, I was just, all right, yeah, this is what we do. Uh, we go to church, uh -huh. we do this, I go through the motions, blah, 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 blah. But then sure. when I started to become a teenager and a young adult, uh, it's been a gradual process for me uh, of trying to figure out uh, this whole faith um, and trying to figure out why I believe what I do. Um, and so for a lot of times in, for Christian people, they have that that booming experience that leads them to Jesus. Uh, but then a lot of people too, like myself, it'll be more of a gradual experience where it's a little bit more uh, thought out and analytical and over years and years and years. Uh, yeah. Like I've heard stories of people uh, like their whole entire lives uh, almost battling, it, like having an internal conflict of uh, figuring out what they believe. Uh, with, with yeah, that's hard yeah yeah that's really hard yeah and so i don't know i don't have i don't have a lot of answers for that but that's just uh it's it's cool i i enjoy thinking about it and i i really enjoy thinking about how uh like the differences in religion and the differences in uh experiences with religion uh i think it's i think it's pretty cool i think it's i think it's wonderful how <laughs> uh religions of christianity judaism buddhism i think it's awesome that those religions are responsible for a lot of good in the world uh but then it's a catch-22 because then a lot of religions or a lot of religious differences cause a lot of problems in the world too uh which sucks but uh i think it's, I think it's great and i don't think religion gets enough credit um for the good that religions do because I at least nowadays in, in my experience religion is almost like a like a dirty word uh and yeah I don't like that uh because yes religion is it is responsible for a lot of dirty things which is terrible but I don't think those those dirty things that religions are responsible for should uh 
completely blot out the good, the good that many different religions have done for the whole world. Uh, and so I always like when the opportunity arises to, uh, to share what I think about good that religions can do between Buddhism, Islam, Christianity, Catholicism that are responsible for, for so many wonderful things throughout history. Uh, Mm-hmm. So I think so. I think religion is is good for some things, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's interesting because I was asking when I was at the nunnery, I asked one of the nuns during one of the Dhamma talks about the concept of religion in the sense that you know you get you hear the Buddhism is often referred to as a way of life rather than mm-hmm. a religion, and yet when you're filling out forms and like official documents and you get asked about Buddhism comes up as one of those choices in between, you know, Judaism and Catholicism and Muslim and all the other ones. And I've always struggled with that because of, because I knew that Buddhism is a way of life. It's not a religion. It doesn't worship. We don't, you you don't worship the Buddha per se. It's not like you worship God or Jesus in the other religions or the prophet Muhammad. There is less, there's less, um, idol worshiping. Yeah. Less deity with it. Yeah, which is where the difference kind of comes in, you know, Uh and so I was like, well, do you have, do you personally have a problem with the fact that it gets referred to as a religion sometimes? And she said something really clever. She was like, if you want to call it a religion, that's fine, because that works for you. If you want to call it a way of life, that works for you. And that's great. So you can call it whatever you want. It doesn't matter. And I really like that. It's less sort of black and white, you know? which I really uh-huh. like. So I think like looping in Buddhism into uh, the same category as all the other religions makes sense to some people. And, and then you think about, like you say, all the, all the bad things that have been done in the name of certain religions. And it, it just, you know, it just doesn't really make sense. But mm-hmm. there is a lot of good to be had from religions. Mm-hmm. So long as it's practiced in, you know, a wholesome way, it's not a dirty word, you know? But unfortunately, mm-hmm. it has this association now with yeah. being a bad thing or being uncool almost, you know? Yeah. Like, uh-huh. It's not cool to be Christian. Like, mm-hmm. I, get, I, I wonder, actually, I want to ask you a question. So if you, so you and I never spoke about your faith when we were hanging uh-huh. out in Thailand, but I guess I suspect that you have had these conversations with people before do you ever find that when you reveal yourself to be a practicing christian that you get a sort of um a li- not i don't want to use the word backlash but like a little bit of apprehension perhaps from people in hostels that you meet because i'm thinking specifically of hostel mm-hmm. visitors not so much like thai people like have you ever felt that people become a little bit more closed up or get their backs up a little bit around you when you reveal your faith? Really? 100%. 100%. Uh, and it really upsets me a lot. Uh, because, and Terrible. so it is. And so that's why, that's, one, that's really why I don't. Uh, because I want people to know me for me. I don't want yeah. people to know me for the connotations that they think that they, they think are associated with me because of uh, my religious beliefs. And so, but the thing that I love doing 
is getting to know somebody and then having like gaining that person's trust and having that person really get to know me and then having them be convinced mm-hmm. that, oh, this is actually a genuine person. He is a quality guy. Uh, and then having like building intimacy with somebody. And then once that connection is built, then revealing that I'm a Christian. And then once that, that person like knows me pretty well, then they'll be able to look at it uh, a little bit more level headedly. Uh, and they won't, they'll, mm-hmm. and it, and it's one of my favorite things to do because when uh, you see the surprise, I see so much surprise on people's faces when I'll tell them that I'm a Christian. Uh, and they'll be like, no way. Like the amount of times I've heard <laughs> from people, no way, you're not a Christian. Like, you're like, because people have such terrible mindsets of who Christian people are. They think they're so judgmental, sure. they're so hypocritical critical they look down on people they think they're so arrogant and honest and i know a lot of christian people and a lot of that is true uh and it sucks because i mean and it sucks because stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason and so there has to be enough judgmental arrogant hypocritical christians for that stereotype to be built uh like it didn't just come out of nowhere uh so there are a lot of christian people like that but there's also a ton of really amazing Christian people. Uh, but so at, at hostels, uh, it depends because if somebody is a judgmental and kind of a crappy person, then yeah. I'll, I'll get backlash from that person. Then they'll immediately sure. go to their preconceived notions of what a Christian is. And then they'll kind of write me off or they'll give me the cold shoulder. And that really kind of sucks. But then a lot more yeah, times than that. Yeah. But then more times than not, people are people are pretty awesome about it. People are uh, definitely in hostels. People are pretty awesome about it. And they're like, oh, no way. That's super cool. And then that's it. Uh, but if people are interested then and then the conversation will continue about uh, religion. But then oftentimes people are like people really don't care about it. And they're like, all right, cool. He's a Christian, whatever. Let's just keep hanging out. Uh, and then it is what it is because yeah, yeah. I'm not somebody who goes around and waves my banner, uh, and make sure that everybody knows, uh, about how I live my life. Uh, cause oftentimes when people do that, it comes off as ingenuine and, uh, really pushy. And I really don't like yeah. being that person. Uh, but when, if it, if it comes up naturally in conversation, uh, I love talking about it, uh, because it's a part of who I am. Uh, and if people want to hear about it, then I gladly tell them about it. I don't hide it at all. Uh, but I'm not I'm not somebody who because because, you know, like we hung out for a couple of days and it didn't come up. Uh, yeah. And so uh, but but now in conversation, it naturally came up. And so uh, it's not something I hide, but it's also not something that I push. Yeah, no, and that's the best way to do it, really, because yeah. you can't start a conversation by going, hey, I'm John, I'm a Christian, because that's, <laughs> yeah. just, that's just not going to be conducive to any kind of useful conversation any, for anybody. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and likewise with any other religion, like, it just, you don't want to push your agenda, because there's no agenda to push, that's your faith, and mm-hmm. that's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and now, I hate that I got to do this, but... Uh, I, I gotta, I gotta get to class. I gotta start. I, I yeah, gotta, I was gonna say it's uh, gotta. You gotta go through twenty minutes. English. 
Yeah, I do. But the last thing, the second question that I ask sure. everybody before I ask this question, thank you so much. Uh, this has been incredibly awesome. I've had an amazing time uh, recording Likewise. this. Episode. It's, been a it's been a blast. Uh, so I guess the last question, and I know this question is a little bit corny, <laughs> but I think it would be really cool to hear of many people's answer to this question. So this question is corny, it's a little cheesy, uh, but I love it, and I think it's a cool question. Uh, and so I guess the elevator version, so like the short version of what is your favorite thing about life? Oh, that's a tough question. You can't know, just ambush right? people like that. Oh, I man. know. <laughs> Honestly, I, my favorite thing about life is the fact that I can get so much out of a day. Like I like, be, like I'm, I'm a big fan of just like sitting on the beach for a week and just doing nothing and, you know, going for the occasional surf or a snorkel session, you know, but uh -huh. I really like the fact that I can get so much out of such a short period of time. You know, you've got 24 hours, seven or eight of those you sleep, and then you have have all this time and you can do so much and I think there's a real satisfaction to being able to say these are the things I've done with my day not in terms of achievements but just yeah. like in terms of personal gratification and even if like even if to you that means going for free surf sessions or going skateboarding mm -hmm. for half an hour if that's mm -hmm. if that's what it means to you then that's that's all it that's all it that's all that matters and you know, that's all you can do. You can only do what you what you want and what you crave. And yeah, I think getting the most out of every day is a really special gift, whatever that means to you. That's my favorite thing about life. I hope I hope that made sense. Uh -huh. Like I said, you ambushed no. me a little bit. I uh, know. <laughs> I see. I'm glad. Uh, and so I'm. I didn't tell you about that question beforehand. Because, and I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody about the question because I want uh, it to be like a unscripted answer. Sure. I'm not going to appreciate that. For yeah. sure. That's super cool. That's an awesome, that's an awesome answer. Uh, any answer would be awesome because if it's, if it's true for you, then that's great. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like the same thing. I like that you can get so much out of a day and not, not in this, not in a sense of, like personal gain or achievement or satisfaction that you've accomplished so much, but just that we have these 16 hours and we get to do awesome stuff with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really special gift. Cool. Hey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, Hey, again, Louise, I had an, a phenomenal, phenomenal time. This was a blast. Me too. Uh, it was fun. Thank, yeah. Thank you so much for being uh anytime on the on the show is there anything that uh is there any like arts or uh anything that you that you have or that you do that you want people to know about like anything like on your instagram or anything that you've written is there anything that you'd want to uh want people to see or be able to go read yes yeah, so i i've had um i've had an instagram account for about a year since i started traveling and it's called, the handle is at tiny hand on the road. And that will make sense when you see the Instagram account. Um, Cause I basically travel with a tiny, 
plastic hands that my friend gave me. <laughs> and sometimes I put it in pictures. I just thought it was mm -hmm. a slightly more fun way to have a, an Instagram profile. And uh, yeah, I would love people to follow me on that and see where I go and where the tiny hand goes and yeah, what we get up to. That'd awesome. awesome. That's amazing. So tiny hand on the road, all one word. All one word, all lowercase. All lowercase. Awesome. Perfect. So everybody, you hear that? Tiny hand on the road. Follow Luis's travels. You've heard you heard an, an hour of her speaking. You know she's awesome. You know she's really thought out, and she's been traveling for the last twelve years. I wish we got could have gotten into uh, how you're able to travel for these last twelve years, because I'm sure I have that question. I'm sure everybody else listening uh -huh. has that question too. Uh, maybe next we time. Can get maybe into we, that. Yeah. Next time, that would be awesome. Next time, you got it. No problem. All right. Thank Thank you so much, Luis. No problem at all. That Thanks, way. John. I appreciate it. Awesome. My friends, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. Until next time. Looking up from a cigarette, she's already left. I started digging up the art for what's left of me in our little vignette. Whatever puts Hey, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't say anything else, but I like this song, so I thought I'd let it play out. And that's it. Goodbye.